what up we're back it's july 14th time of recording we got the july episode of the robin eritrea show here at diabetics doing things continuing to tell the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world and it's conference season in the diabetes world and you get to be a bigger part of that these days because your industry working at diatribe and media and yeah. i typically get to go as rob Howe, but we're actually also now going to events as diabetics doing things. So that's been exciting. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that on the travels, but it was cool to say, I, I guess I guess I want to just for listeners as well, you started working for diabetics doing things just over three years ago. So we we celebrated that at the beginning of this month. I remember our first like call was the week before July 4th, like the Friday before July 4th. So first of all, congrats on three years. Yeah, you didn't fire me. I know. Congrats. <laughs> no, for sure. But it was cool to see you at ADA and like running into you and just being like, wow, it's kind of a full circle moment. And then we went as a team to Friends for Life in Florida last week. So we could talk about that a, a little bit more as well. But this was your second ADA, if I'm not mistaken. This is my third ADA. The first one I ever went to was like not sponsored. I just went like a long time ago. I can't, I can't, I can't remember where it was, but this is my second professional ADA with Diatribe and it was a lot of fun. Had a good time. It was cool. I, I'd love to know your perspective because I think you and I obviously are both big advocates of including patient voices at events. And I think that concept and idea is catching on, which is great because I feel like at times, as patients, you see things that happen at big conferences like that, and you think they don't that that's not for me or i'm not I'm not included in that, or that's not for patients with diabetes necessarily. so I, I don't know, I'd love to talk about that. It, has that changed for you from the time you first went to now? is that or is that just me sort of like an unconscious bias like noticing those things? No, I mean, okay, so I did notice in my first ADA that I met a lot of people that I already knew in the space, right? Because some of us are privileged enough to either work for companies or have a company or have some kind of affiliation that allows you to attend. Let's be honest, the barrier to these conferences is the huge price tag because attending ADA costs like $1,500 a person. Like that's right. wild, right? I think that it's really great that voices and advocates are being asked to come now. I know that there's a story out there that before they weren't even allowed at the conferences. Like there's like this whole idea that before it was like, this is not for them, this is for HCPs. So the culture around conferences is changing. I will say that this year there was more patient advocate voices than I ever expected, but I think that has a big, that, that just hats off to DDoc and Bastian and his people over there who decided to come over to the US because they were able to bring patient advocates and fund it, right? Because that's the barrier. So yeah, I am noticing that there is more advocate voices, but I also think that we just live in an era where people have access to more information online and are like, well, this isn't that far for me. This is in San Diego. Like, why can't I go, right? Some people are lucky enough to live in the area. So I also think ADA is just a more accessible conference as far as location because it's in the U.S. But all that to say that, yeah, advocate voices are definitely at, on the rise at these conferences. It's cool to see. I talked about it in the solo pod that I did a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago. It's nice to see not only is DDoc kind of like setting that blueprint and extending what they do in Europe at the European and uh, Asian conferences, Middle East, uh, EMEA, for those who are 
big acronym users for <laughs> the shout out Amia Hive. But that is extending over here. And also the brands who work with patient spokespeople or patient ambassadors are bringing their teams of ambassadors to the events to experience it, which I, that's how I experienced it for the first time. That's why I was there this time. So it's cool to see the next sort of generation. I feel now I'm like an elder statesman uh, in the in the patient advocate community. I've been around a little while. And so it's cool to see the next generation come in there and see it for the first time. And I think it's just really important to see what the diabetes companies and industry is working on, what's coming, what the future of diabetes care and care management looks like. And you know, also get to see access to the poster sessions. The posters right. are some of the most inspiring stuff that I found over the years. So it's just great to to be able to have more access for people to get behind the scenes and see what's being worked on in the industry. And access aside, let's talk about like the impact of having patient voices in those rooms, right? So I remember my first ADA, something that someone said was like, the women's sessions are held in areas where the room is like underlit, tiny, just doesn't have what the speakers need, right? And then that feedback was received. And now at this year's ADA, the women's sessions had the biggest room, but those were all criticisms and feedback from people in the audience that were not HCPs, that were literally women like myself that were assigned to attend that session and were like, hey, like, this is kind of messed up. Like this session that was made for me, I can't, why, why is it not as accessible as everything else that's happening? Like, why is the stage smaller? Why is there no refreshments for these women? So there is a, a huge value add to people and advocates being invited to these because it also forces the HCPs who are putting on these sessions to think of their patients as humans. And I'm not saying that they don't, but it must just be really hard. Like you're seeing patients day in, day out, but now you're having to present this information in a way that might be stigmatizing to a person with diabetes. So knowing that there's advocates in the room forces you to change that verbiage and to change how you would do your presentation. You know what I mean? So it's not just great, we get to see all this stuff, but also like this is about us. So why is it mm. happening without us? And we deserve as patients, as people living with diabetes, to give that feedback to our HCPs in a place where they get together once a year to do this. And I, I think that's immensely valuable. Like we can't even put a price tag on that. Well said. Nothing to add. <laughs> Uh, Whatever think, happens. <laughs> all right, that's that's just what I'm what I'm after today. On the opposite side of the patient voices and patients at conference spectrum is Friends for Life from Children with Diabetes, which we both attended this week, and we were both first timers at the conference. And I guess I would describe it like it's a very similar floor, like event floor. You got the exhibit hall, except there's a theme every year. So this theme this year was out of this world. And so it was every, everybody was space themed. And I'm telling you, the booths were nuts and they had super cool like t-shirt printing. They had big TVs and like all the folks were in, you know, space gear. It was just really cool and creative to see that from the big brands, but also some of the smaller brands and like diabetes patient advocacy organizations or small businesses. And for me, I think seeing some of the partners who, I guess not partners, but seeing some of the people who were in the first 50 episodes of Diabetics Doing Things, and they were all around, and people who were there to meet me when I joined the Diabetes Online community and seeing them in person there, was just a kind of a full circle, exciting moment 
for me and it just felt very welcoming. So Jeff and the children with diabetes team have done an amazing job over the past 20 years, putting that conference on. And it's crazy to see where one little idea can, can grow towards. And, you know, whether it's kids and teens and parents, there were, and even adults attending the conference, there were all across Disney resorts, like every single person had some sort of diabetes device on. And it was really weird and normalized. And it was kind of like, the way I would describe it is it's part diabetes conference, part diabetes camp. And yeah, everybody's running around having a good time, good vibes, not, not as uh, buttoned up or HCP focused as ADA or some of the other industry conferences, but absolutely a, a must see. And I, I had a really great time. It was just cool to just be around people and have, you know, face-to-face interactions with people, some people that I've known and, and interacted with for many years who I've never met in person uh, and others who I've met in person at other events. And so it was cool. I think I saw you at both. I saw Stacey Sims at both events. It was, it was cool to be around. Uh, we had the Medtronic champions that were some of whom were not able to make it to ADA, but they had other ones going to friends for life. So I got to see both of them there as well. So shout out to you guys, but uh, it was a really great conference. And for us, you know, you and I got to spend, you know, the first time together, like the most time we spent together as a team ever, ever, which was, which was great and wild. And, and we had Erica there and Ashley there as well. We worked on some awesome stuff for diabetics doing things, which we're going to be revealing to you guys probably on the next episode of the Robin Eritrea show as we, as we continue to refine our mission and our vision for what diabetics doing things is and what it's going to become. So you know, I think that's where we can kind of continue to to take this conversation today. It's good to be in person. It's good to plan and also see that there are people who are diabetes creators who started out with just an idea and have turned it into, you know, amazing pillars in the diabetes community. For example, we saw we saw Emily Emblem and Scott from Peels, and they mm-hmm. were like, Emily, I think was episode 13 of this podcast. So now we've got, this will be the 281st episode in the feed. So we're approaching 300, which is just crazy. And now they're huge. They make pump peels with tandem. Like that's a yeah, big and, deal. And Medtronic, yeah, they're, they, they're everywhere, right? So, you know, again, whether it's a little idea uh, and, you know, you feel like you're not getting traction, there is a place for you. There is a place in this community. That, shout out to the Travis Type 1 Tactical booth was right across from ours. We hung out with them. Diabolemia Helpline, uh, Diabetes yeah. Linked. It was just cool to be around. So thanks for stopping by our booth and saying, hey, uh, we learned a lot. We're going to do some different stuff at our booth next year, I think. But Oh, uh, yeah, we were, we were forged by fire this year, my friend. But we did. And also I want to shout out Felissa because she texted me today and was like, you never came back to my table. So I am so sorry, Felissa. One day we will hang out. But she was also there selling her books to diabetes helpers. You guys should go online and support a black woman writing books by selling her book. But there was just there was just so many incredible people there. And we didn't get as much face time with them because we were so focused, hyper-focused on this legacy that we're creating for diabetics doing things. Yeah, and I think just like laying the groundwork, right? So I will say big shout out to Skin Grip for they gave us some patches to give out in the booth. People thought we were there as Skin Grip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were like, like, are you guys Skin Grip? I was like, no. We're like, no, but you can have these patches. And they were like, oh, awesome. And like somebody came up and they had like left patches at home. And we had the the rainbow pack and the pastels pack for all the different devices. So thank you guys for, you, you helped out some people who needed some patches at the pool. And you also made us look good. So thank you guys for obviously being just great partners in, in the community as well. So 
Shout out to the Skin Grip team. For those who stopped by our booth and saw our bags, those are also going to be going on sale very soon. So keep an eye on your email for we have merch. the drop merch. link. Some very cool handmade by Diabetes Creators and Airtrea's mom, handpinned by your boy. <laughs> so, Thanks, mom. Uh, you got to check Bless those you. things out. And we, I've been wearing mine and it, the, it's wear tested by us. So Dude, we me are, too. <laughs> we're, we're using it because that's, I made you guys that promise back when I made the hoodies. I'm not going to make something that I wouldn't use for myself. I do want to highlight one person who came by our booth and I didn't put this in our notes, so I wasn't expecting to talk about it, but I just want to talk about it for a second. There's a gentleman who came by and he was like, you know, just looking at the diabetes stuff. He's really sweet. And we asked him if he wanted some skin care patches because that's what we were asking everyone. It's like, hey, would you like some patches? And sign up for the newsletter, basically. And he was like, I wish I could take these, but I'm attending the conference this year in memoriam of my daughter. And I was just like, whoa, like, I, I am the worst person to say this to because I'm going to ask you questions. Um, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, what happened? And he was like, well, I lost my daughter to complications of diabetes, which we talk about on this pod all the time, which is like that all of us living with diabetes are going to one day go. Um, but my sentiments to him were that, first of all, I was sorry for his loss, but also if I was his daughter, I would have been so proud of my dad for showing up somewhere where I built a community for myself and then finding community also for himself. So shout out to that dad. His name was Michael. If he is listening to the pod, just want you to know that you left a really lasting impact on me. And I think people like him are just incredible to like continue to show up and do the work, even if the person that they loved isn't here anymore. And that was just it just also meant so much like what children with diabetes and what friends for life means to these families to continue to show up even after your child is no longer on the planet. Like, wow, wow, wow. Mm. Yeah. I think it also speaks to what that conference has been about, which is creating a space for kids and families and teens and adults with diabetes to just be friends and meet other people like them. I also think, and I saw this, we, we met Mary type one from TikTok mm -hmm. and Instagram. We met her she was in the type, type one tactical booth and she was so cool and came by the booth as well as Raquel from type one day were, were hanging out with us. And I saw some comments on their posts after the event that a lot of people don't know about friends for life mm -hmm. uh, and there's regional friends for life. Uh, so if you can't make it to Orlando, uh, there's ones in the different regions of the United States. And I believe they've done one overseas as well. Uh, maybe last year was the first one of those, but there are scholarships available. It's, it's not an expensive conference necessarily. Like it's pretty accessible, I would say, but there's obviously scholarships. And if you're interested, I would encourage you to go. If you, especially if you're looking for people like you with diabetes, to me, there'd be no better place to find, you know, a pretty wide ranging, diverse group of people. And, you know, you can kind of find your tribe there. So I would encourage you to get plugged in if you're feeling burnt out, if you're looking for a vacation for your your kids who have diabetes and also for their brothers or sisters who maybe don't have diabetes. There were multiple families there. Everybody's having a good time, whether you have diabetes or not. Uh, there's something for everybody. So highly encourage you guys to to look into that if that's something that you're that you're missing or you wanna wanna add to your diabetes community tool belt, so to speak. And with scholarships being available, I want to emphasize with you guys, I grew up a poor kid, like extremely, extremely poor kid, like 30K is like all that was came into my household every year. And I have three siblings and I still got to go to places like CWD, not this one specifically, but other camps like it because my mom was willing to ask questions. So if you feel embarrassed or wrong that you can't afford this or you really, really want to go, the people at CWD will help you. 
send them an email. Matt Point is incredible over there. Jeff Hitchcock is incredible. They don't just have scholarships. They will literally help you like figure out the finances to help get you there. So because to me, I can never imagine going to Disney as a kid. Like, that's just too much. There's too many of us, right? And, and there was a mom I talked to there who drove 22 hours to get there because she wanted to go so badly with her kids. So there's a way to do it. Don't be shy. If someone's saying no, you're asked the wrong person. Just ask the questions that you need to go because they, these events can really change your life or the life of your child. So that's the last thing I think we'll say because I just, I don't know. I think access really bugs me and like money and stuff. So I just wonder if yeah. you know, like you can make it happen. It's just going to be a little bit hard. And I think, you know, like you said, you just got to ask the right people. You got to ask the right questions. And, you know, I think that there is a way if that's something that you, that you want to do. And I would encourage mm-hmm. you to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about our diabetes. What's your blood sugar right now? Oh, God. This is wrong. This is not on the list, Rob. No, but... It- they oh, love these. They love these my, videos. In, my in blood. <laughs> I was so worried because I had coffee before this call, so I was like, "I'm about to do like 300." But my blood sugar is 160. Level arrow. Thank you, T Slim. Love that. Love that. I'm at a 106 right now. Hey. Love that. This is a great time for me to bug you now about your. So earlier today we were texting, and Rob was like, "I'm having a pre-bolus low blood sugar," and I'm just like, "Now you're 106. Like, are you perfect? Like, who are you?" Well, all right. So like pre-bolusing is hard, right? Because I hate it. (laughs) Like who among like we don't want to 15 minutes before the food comes like you don't want to be too low. Also, like you forget or like what if the food if you're eating at a restaurant, like what if the food comes out later? Like I think we've all been there pre-bolusing. Oh my God. Just literally like looking at the clock and sweating, like trying to wait for the food to come out. So I pre-bolused for for my meal and, you know, I had kind of been active and you know, earlier today. So my insulin sensitivity was probably high, which is great. Love that. But I ate my food and then like I, I maybe pre-bolus a little too early and then ate the food. And like, you know, I was just low, like below 60 for like an hour and a half. And I was like, I know this is going to come up, but when will it happen? Did it so, come up all at once? Like did all the carbs hit you? Did You didn't rage eat. Did you just like slowly? I'm just, you're perfect, right? So you slowly ate carbs, I bet. No, I... I ate the, I was hungry. I like inhaled the Chipotle. It was a veggie Chipotle burrito. So like no meat, just guac, which is my go-to order lately. I don't know when that changed, but I know. Yeah. Black black beans, brown rice, mild, spicy, sour cream, cheese, guac. That's my go-to Chipotle. Where's the salsa? Where's the flavor? Yeah. I did. I did the, I do the mild and hot salsa. Okay. Yeah. Mild and hot and sour cream and cheese and, you know, brown rice, black beans and the tortilla. So like I, I bolused for it and it just never came up. So I had to hit some, <laughs> some gummy bears, but I didn't do too many. So I'm 106. So I'm good. I'm like, I'm good. feeling better, but I was, man, I was having that brain fog. I was tired. Low blood sugars, man. They will get you. I, okay. So because I live with hypo unawareness, when I do feel low blood sugar, it's like the end of the world. Like I, and I won't even be that low, but I'll like curl up in a ball and just be like crying. Like the person I've seen will be like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm just like throwing myself under my like, because I'm such a baby about it. I don't know. I feel like I literally want to slam my head something on something to make my blood sugar come up. But obviously, that's not going to do anything for me. So if you're also a baby about your lows, if you're listening to this, just know I see you. I feel you. We don't have to be perfect. <laughs> I, I'm also learning to be a little bit more of a baby about my lows, like loving myself a little bit while I'm low and just giving myself a chance to sit down. And like, kind of just do nothing and, you know, remember that I'm just having a low blood sugar and that 
that I don't have to prove anything to anybody. So yeah, that was, that was my thing today was to make sure that I took it easy. I drank some water. I did some athletic greens. I, I kind of, I was trying to get some energy and like water. Sometimes it's like trying to be more conscious of drinking water and being hydrated because I feel better all the time when I'm hydrated. So whenever I don't feel good, one of my signals to myself is like, drink some water. Let's, let's get some good stuff in your body. So that's um, a good plan. But I want to say something a couple of days ago, I was sitting on my couch and my blood sugar was totally normal. And I've been drinking water, this like big old water bottle. And I too have been like, mind your business, girl, drink your water. And I was like, I haven't drank any water today. I'm going to chug this water bottle. Bro, I chugged the water bottle and then I was low. It was so annoying. I was just like, I wasn't low. Why am I low now? So is that a thing? Can too much, can drinking too much water all at once make you low? Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, because water helps with your digestion. It helps to hydrate your cells, which allows you to absorb insulin. So if there's insulin on board and you drink a bunch of water and you were dehydrated, you needed water, you can, that, that can absolutely increase your sensitivity, even just like one-to-one, like within 15 minutes. So like when you talk about like being insulin resistant at different times, hydrating is one of the best ways to, you know, kind of work that out. It's like, Drink a bunch of water, go on a five-minute walk, and your body is going to be primed for insulin absorption. Wow. I feel like I learned so much just being around you. By the way, the reason I started drinking more water is because Rob's wife shaded me drinks. <laughs> when we were driving home, she was just like, you don't drink enough water. And I was like, oh, yeah. but I feel like I learned a lot this week just being around you. Like, I'm learning this about the water. And then there was a moment at Children with Diabetes when we were sitting for a little bit and your blood sugar is high. And you were like, I'll be right back. And then you went to like walk up the stairs backwards or something. Like, oh. you went to the- <laughs> like you went to the gym and you like walked on the treadmill while this turned off backwards or something. And I was like, yeah, you got to hit the dead mill. Like, so I, yeah, my blood sugar was high. We had just been sitting around because I'm telling you why it's high. Want to know why it was high? Because I ate the waffle. I ate the Mickey Mouse waffle, dude. Oh, it was I wanted so it. Good though. I had one it was too. great. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna eat this Mickey Mouse waffle and have some coffee. And then we sat down for a while. So like my blood sugar was kind of high. So for me, hydration and a little exercise goes a long way. So yeah, I hopped into that hotel gym. I grabbed some weights. I did some squ- some squats, and I hopped on that treadmill. Turned my timer on my watch for five minutes, and walked backwards on the treadmill, pushing that thing. And A, walking backwards is really good for you. If you guys, anybody's out there is like a knees over toes guy, follower, which I am, and I think is an amazing athletic system for anybody who's, you know, looking to heal their body and to, you know, become stronger. And walking backwards on a treadmill that's turned off, be safe, do not turn it on, will definitely get your legs on fire very quickly. So I was like drenched in sweat after that. My blood sugar came down. I felt great. It was just interesting to watch it in real time. Like you see people on the internet be like, I do this when I'm high. I do this. I'll be honest. I'm a lazy girly. If I'm high, I'm gonna take insulin. I'm not about to do 10 jumpy jacks. It's just not me. So it was really interesting to me to watch you in real time. Be like, I'll be right back. I got to go walk backwards on a trip. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this too, because now I'm on the 780G. So, which is awesome. And one of the features that it has is automated bolus correction. So it, it'll have like, if it'll detect your blood sugar is high and it'll give you a bolus, an autocorrection bolus. So I didn't want to give myself more insulin because if I gave myself more, I'd probably fall too fast. But yeah, I had a little bit of on board and it was so crazy. I shared the chart and I, and I had people, I used a little Instagram 
kind of like point pole thingy. And I was like, when do you guys think that I start walking on the treadmill? And almost everybody picked the right area. So shout out to you guys. But my, my body was so ready to absorb that insulin. It was like a straight line down and it stopped down at like one one forty. And it was like, okay, cool. Well, I didn't give myself more insulin. So I avoided that low. I absorbed it quickly and, you know, got my body moving and I felt better because of it. It was, it was kind of nice to, you know, just, and it took maybe 10 minutes. So, you know, I think that's one of those things that I'm trying to prioritize as well as like taking action in order to, like, I could have sat there and been miserable for an hour, but I took some action, took 10 minutes out and I felt better within 30 minutes. So, you know, I think that was something that, that I like to do, but I'm telling you what guys, that Medtronic 780G is a huge step up from my previous you know, pump that I was on and my time and range has, has been excellent. And I've been very happy with that choice. And I think it's an awesome piece of technology that I'm so glad is out in the United States now. So two things. One, this is my second year on an AID system. So tandem launch control IQ, I believe last year. And something that my rep told me was that because our pumps are an AID, meaning that they give us insulin when we're high, if we give ourselves more insulin, over time, that will mess up the algorithm. Ooh, algorithms into your pumps. But it will mess up the algorithm because basically your pump won't be able to figure out how much insulin does this person actually need as a correction. So you did exactly what you were supposed to do from what it sounds like. My second thing I was going to say was, didn't you have a 90% in-range day the other day? Which, like, I've only had a 90% in-range day, like, once in my life. So that's crazy. Like, Yeah, I, I hit a 99. Shut other, up. It was just crazy. I know. Uh, oh. And, you know, I ate my regular meals. I did my regular stuff. You know, when your sites work and your, you know, your insulin is good and your sensor is good, man, that's, that's like 99% time and range, man. I don't really do anything different. I didn't have to really think about it, which is, I think the best part that I've experienced so far with the 7AG is there's fewer alerts and more control. And, you know, I got to look at my care link report, but I feel like my time in range over the past three weeks has been for sure over 85% on average. And that is a big change. You know, that's huge. I, I think the biggest change for me, like I, my time in range has always been pretty good, but because I'm like actively participating in it, you mentioned like the ghost boluses. Mm -hmm. I would do that on a regular basis on my last pump. And now the automated correction boluses, I don't have to do that. So that allows me to not be part of it. It doesn't even alert me when that happens and I'm cool with that. So, you know, I think it's it's just a really big step forward from a management on like mind standpoint. I've also been sleeping through the night better, which is making me better in the, during the day. So I'm, I'm thinking of these compounding effects of not being woken up in the night, waking up in range, having a high time in range. Like those are going to add a whole lot more living to my life, you know, right. and, and, and less, less just obsessing over the number. I love that. That's I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I hope it continues to work out so, so well for you. And let's hope you don't convert me because 99%, bro, like that's that's a number. I mean, I, I shared it. I was like, you know, there there also have been days where like my one of, one of my sites failed and I had like 40% time in range. So like it's not every day is perfect, but man, right. 99%, 99%, I was like, I wanted to stick that good grade on the refrigerator. I was like, that, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty cool to experience. So uh, yeah. I'm I'm excited and I'm going to be doing a lot of content about 780G for Medtronic here very soon. So you guys are going to hear a lot more about it. I love that we're talking about time and range and just how it could improve your quality of life. Like I didn't even think about how I'm not waking up at night with lows anymore either. Like I can't remember the last time I woke up in the middle of the night and was low. It's, like it's been a while, I think. I don't know. But 
I, I hope that we both get to a place one day where these thoughts of lows in the middle of the night and our pump bothering us is a thing of the past. Inshallah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think we're closer to that than you, than you might think. Some of the studies that I've seen on the automated insulin delivery pumps, most of them have been, you know, regarding Medtronic, but there's also, I've seen one with Control IQ and, and mm-hmm. Omnipod 5, I believe as well. Uh, one of the common th- denominators of all three systems is that hypoglycemia percentages go down. So, you know, I think the, the data shows very clearly automated insulin delivery reduces hypoglycemia. And as you mentioned earlier, that's a scary thing. And people die from hypoglycemia all the time. And so, you know, I think it's really, really important that as a, as a whole, the technology is, you know, driving hypoglycemia down. And, you know, eventually, I think as we talk about the future of diabetes, there just might be fewer and fewer deaths from hypoglycemia year over year as we continue forward. So, you know, I think as time goes on and we learn more about diabetes and technology improves and access improves and, and, you know, pharmacology improves, outcomes improve. And that means more people living better with diabetes for a longer time. Yeah, I totally get that. I also agree. Hmm. So as I'm thinking about you, I feel like we usually do this whole thing with like, what is Rob up to? So we all know you're probably still taking cold baths, especially right now because it's 105 degrees in Dallas. Like, holy freaking shirt balls. Did you know we've had the most record hot days on the planet ever? Like ever? Just wild. I do believe it. I, so I'll, I'll tell you this the other day. I felt, I think it was Wednesday this week. I was like, man, today is hot. It just, it wasn't the, it didn't feel like the hottest day because we've had heat indexes that were way higher because of the humidity. But I was like, it is actually very hot. It felt like the hottest day. And Erica was like, ah, I don't really know. And then the next day they said that that was the hottest day recorded of the year at DFW airport. So like the actual temperature was like the hottest of the year. And it just felt that way. And I got in that cold plunge in the afternoon and I, I felt so good. Like, it's so interesting because that is one of the reasons why I got it is because during the summer, the water in the pipes is very warm. So you can't like do the cold shower to the same effect. And so getting in there, it was really interesting to feel the difference in my body when it's hot outside versus when it's kind of normal or, or even mm. cold. Like I feel my body feels different when it's hot. Like like there's just, it's a deeper, I don't know if it's like, it feels like my core temperature is warmer, obviously when it, when it's hot outside. And it's interesting to like feel that cooling down when I'm under the the cold water. So yeah, I am doing that. And, you know, I think what you were getting to looking at the show Your notes, stack. Here, you want to know what, what's my stack is. And I've been kind of teasing that I'm going to do this morning routine video and I just haven't done it yet. So I need to do it. So here's my headline. Unfortunately, all the stuff they tell you to do, you got to do. Damn it, it. <laughs> unfortunately, it works. It works. Uh, everything they say is good for you is good for you. So here's my morning routine that I started November 6th of last year. And I really kind of dug into deeper in the, in the beginning of the year when I read Atomic Habits by James Clear. So supplements wise, I, I take athletic greens. This is every day. I do this every morning. Or so I'm I, going back to November 6th. So it's like, was that just a random day? It's just literally a random Saturday. Okay. November I know, but I saw a video. I saw a Tim Ferriss video that he posted that day about his morning routine. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try this. So okay. athletic greens. So I do AG1 from athletic greens. Shout out. If you're a podcaster, you've heard ads for athletic greens. I get them all the time on Instagram. Anyway, it's great. Highly recommended. If you do nothing else like that, if I I did one thing, I would take that. Uh, But but then now I'm I'm mixing in creatine monohydrate. It's really good for your brain. 
It also makes you look a little bit pumped, pumped up. People have questions about like hydration. There's a lot of literature out there. Go ahead and read it. I'm comfortable taking it based on what I know. Then I take EPA, DHA fish oil. So the big tablets, fish oil. I take Tangat Ali, which is a, an herb that's like, you know, helps to, to generate your hormones and like testosterone production, you know, potentially L-theanine for focus and sleep, magnesium three and eight for sleep and brain health. And I take levothyroxine for my hypothyroidism. So every morning, that's what I'm putting in my body. And I do 30 push-ups. So I do, if I do those and then I get in the cold plunge and then I journal. So those are, that's my like four steps. I do the supplements, I do the cold tub, I do the push-ups and I do the journaling. The reason I did the push-ups is from that video, that Tim Ferriss video from November 6th. He talked about like getting up, getting on the floor and doing the push-ups, like doing a hard thing to get your momentum going. And then I also noticed during that same time, there was a research study that came out that said you're 80% less likely to die of stroke, cancer, or, or Alzheimer's if you can do 40 push-ups at a given time. I think heart disease might have been in there too. So I was like, okay, seeing kind of the same thing from different sources indicates to me is always like a marker for me that I should do it. So hmm. I decided, okay, I feel like I can do 40 push-ups probably, but let's make sure. So now I do 30 every day. I'm actually thinking about going to 40. I kind of hurt my wrist playing basketball a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't increased it yet, but we'll get there. And then the cold tub, like all the research shows, like if you just do that, it's also the hardest thing to do and getting uncomfortable. Again, building that momentum, doing hard things. And then because of Atomic Habits, now I put my journal on my keyboard of my computer. So I can't get through my, I can't get to my keyboard without removing my journal first. So oh. if, if I've got the journal in my hand, I might as well write in it. And the way I look at it is it's, a, it's the hardest email I'll write all day because I don't have any context and it's to myself. So the next hard email I will write will not be as bad. So. Wow. Okay. So many questions. One. Why did you think it was important to have multiple hard things at the beginning of the day? Because I feel like the ice tub, when you started doing that, that was supposed to be the hard thing. But now we've like doubled it up and been like, I'm double de doubling down. I'm going to do the push-ups and the cold tub. Why? <laughs> well, honestly, I was having a hard time last year and I had the cold tub. So I was getting and feeling the benefits from the cold tub, but I was also feeling I was having a hard year at, in my professional life at work. It was the hardest year of my career, I think. And I just was feeling down and depressed, like not myself. And so I was looking for something and that push-up thing from that video, I was like, well, this is easy. I should do it anyway. Like I'm going to try it. So I just gained more momentum from that than just the cold tub alone. But, but all the research also shows is like, I have the ability, me, Rob, how I have the ability to have the perfect morning routine. Mm -hmm. And so I should take advantage of that. So I was trying to hit every single element of that. So drinking the AG1 is like water first, water and greens first thing. So I'm getting hydrated. I'm exercising a little bit, getting some movement. I'm jumping in the cold tub and all this before I have my coffee. I, I try not to have my coffee, you know, less than 45 minutes after I wake up. So, cause nice. I used to just wake up straight up and have, have a cup of coffee. Yeah, I love that. Okay, my second question is, how okay so i love that you said that you have the ability to have a morning routine because so many people just don't right like you have to get your kids to school you got to get your husband to school or to work you got to do all this other stuff so we're lucky that we you know both have these jobs that allow us to do what we need to do what time does this morning routine start during the week 
I am not a morning person. Wow. I've, I've tried to be, I do not, I am a sleepy boy. I'm a big, you know, and I also like being up a little bit later. So, you know, I start my day about seven o'clock, 720. Okay. So not super early. We, we don't have kids. We do have Enzo though. And he is up marching around <laughs> at about 630. So Erica usually wakes up. If she's out of town, I'll get up a little earlier with them. But yeah, I'm not a super early riser. I'm I'm trying. I think that's kind of the next like infinity stone that I need to unlock for myself. And hopefully when we're able to have a family, like that'll be part of it. But yeah, so I'm not a super 7 early riser. 7 a.m. 7 totally a.m. I'm, I'm up and at him. And I I think too, it's it it just I I required that. I think I I just yeah. needed I needed that routine. And I think also you make time or like your routine, you can't let it adapt to whatever your other things are. You know, like you've got to make that time for yourself. And I think that's where I was really focused on. If I do these things, no matter what happens afterwards, at least I've done 30 pushups. I've you know taken all my vitamins. I've uh, gotten in the cold tub. Got So I'm outside, got the sunshine on me. I've done a little exercise. So even if the net of the rest of my day is zero, I'm ahead on the cards. So, gotcha. uh, and I think also I was trying to, I looked at my whoop data from last year and I was like, well, what, what would it take for me to increase my, my exercise output, my strain by 20%. And so this year to date, because of a lot of other things, but I've increased my daily average strain by 20%, which was, was one of my goals. Wow. Congratulations. Here's my, cause I have two more questions about this morning routine, which by the way, I love this. How long does this routine usually take you? It can take me anywhere from two minutes, you know, if I'm really hustling to like two minutes is an exaggeration probably, but because it takes, you know, three or four minutes to get out, change and outside in the cold tub and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it does not take very long. Some days I kind of like putter through it. I'm kind of a putterer in the morning. I like to just kind of like go through my things. So 15 minutes, I roll out of bed. I take my supplements. I do the, I do the, uh, the pushups. I drink the athletic greens. I go outside. I'm in the cold tub and I'm, and I'm out the door. So it's pretty straightforward. Beautiful. Last question. Over our weekend, I noticed that you are a sit down and write things out kind of dude. Like you just kind of need to like dump it all on a piece of paper. Before you came up with this four step morning routine, did you sit down and think like, this is my goal for my morning routine. This is what I want from it. So then I'm going to implement these things. Or did it just kind of like, come together or did that Tim Ferriss video kind of tell you what to do? Like what for somebody who's looking to create a morning routine, asking for myself, I no longer want to be a bumbuna log for the rest of my life. What would you say is the best way for someone to just get started? I think what gets measured gets managed. I, I have not, I've been trying this for a while. I've been a Tim Ferriss head for almost a decade and really only in the last year have I established a really good morning routine. So I think you got to be honest about who you are. So my morning routine does not start at 5 a.m. because I do not start at 5 a.m. And so you got to find what works for you. From a like supplementation standpoint, I also have been tinkering around with that for the last couple of years. And I've been adding and subtracting things along the way just based on how I feel and what I like. So... You know, I had been taking, I started last year taking the magnesium three and eight, and that made my insulin sensitivity really good. So I was like, okay, cool. I like this. I'm able to get some good, good quality sleep. This year I added the L-theanine 
And I think I really like the way that that, that, that works for me. Now, I don't take some of the nootropic like alpha brain stuff or, or alpha GPC anymore because that just makes me really angry. It's weird. <laughs> like I get so focused and I'm like my jaw locks up and I'm just not very happy to be around. So I don't take that anymore. So I think that those are like trying to tinker around and experiment with what works for you and and realize that people are very different. And you're, you know, some of my employees at the agency would be like, yeah, like the perfect morning routine is like 17 steps and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I mean, actually I do it every day. So I think you need to find something that works for you, but also commit to it and just be, enjoy the process. Like I, I don't, those five pushups or, you know, those pushups, I think I said in the last episode, they're not like, I don't wake up excited to do them. They're hard. <laughs> the first five are always hard, but I just keep going. And I think that's okay. the same thing with the journal. It's on the keyboard. I've got it in my hand. I might as well write it in it. Some days I have like really coherent kind of, you know, poetic, awesome thoughts. Other days there's just bullshit in there. So, and some days I just like hate write in there. Like, uh, and it's just, you know, just very widely depends on my mood, but I'm returning to it. The practice is all that matters. And, I, and I'm not judging myself if I don't get it right every time. Well, I love this. This is very, very, very inspirational. I think, you know, I love this. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think it'll be really helpful to others like me who are trying to figure out what the hell to do with their lives to be a better person. Well, I think, you know, it kind of comes back to some of the sports stuff. Okay. This also was like spoken over my life. Like it was when I, some teachers said this when I was, when I was the valedictorian of my high school, they used this as an intro. It's like, I know I, I'm legally required to tell everybody that. That's, <laughs> that's my, what I'm that's saying. My, I'm like, that's oh my, my valedictorian God. joke. But excellence is not an act, but a habit. And it's like winners, the, the sports version of that is like winners do every day what others do occasionally. And so I think that's the, the, my thoughts about the morning routine. I'm going to do these every day so that, you know, some people might do them sometimes. That's great. But the longevity of it is, is great. And it's kind of like that same thing. I've never re regretted a workout. Like some days right. I'll, I don't want to do it. I don't, and maybe I don't do it for very long, but that momentum comes from, you know, check, checking in and clocking in and getting that done. So, you know, I, and I think that the improvements that I've noticed from a mood and a health and a productivity or whatever type of, you know, those benefits are not one and done. They're because I'm building them up over time. Yeah, no, I, first of all, as always, so thankful that you're willing to share just like, because also like, I love that. Your routine can go anywhere from I could get it done in five minutes or I could really take my time and take 15 to 20. That seems extremely doable and capturable for other people who maybe are like, well, where do I even get started? And it sounds like just drinking water, getting yourself hydrated first thing in the morning, finding one hard thing that you can do every single day and maybe jotting down your thoughts before you really like jump into your day could really make a huge difference. So thank you for sharing that because who knows? Well, maybe it'll change my life. <laughs> you, you know, I think. I love talking about this. So if, you know, if I was going around on podcast tours, I, this is what I would talk about if I had my wife druthers, right? But it's about starting your day with intention. Some people just make their bed and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. Some people have rules like they floss one tooth because if you're flossing one tooth, might as well do the whole mouth. It's just like little weird like ways for you to kind of like trick yourself into doing what you want, what you really want, but it's hard to do in the moment. Gotcha. Absolutely. Cool. All right, so enough about me. <laughs> Let's talk about is there you. Ever, is there ever enough rock? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you know me, I'm pretty vain, but it's fine. <laughs> um, so I want to tell everyone a story. I after I saw you at ADA, I was back home. It was like Sunday. I'm like getting ready for work or whatever, and I see you are on a kayak. And I was like, oh, I bet Eritrea loses her phone <laughs> because I just know you. And what happened on that kayak trip? Dude, oh, oh my God. Rest in peace to my phone. So after ADA, I stayed in La Jolla for a couple of days to celebrate my friend's birthday and just have a good time. And he wanted to go kayaking. And so I was like, all right, cool. And so we got onto these kayaks. First of all, He's really sweet. So he got me a wetsuit to like put on because I am. A... Some girls are like always really hot and some are really cold. I'm really cold. If you ever see me in life, I'm probably wearing a sweater and I live in Texas. Erica is the same way. Always. Like it's just cold everywhere, bro. Anyways, he was like, oh, I got you a wetsuit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, OK, great. We get to the place and they're like, put all of your stuff in these lockers. And I'm just like, all of my stuff, like my phone used to have like a little like friendship bracelet on it that my niece made me. And so I would just always keep it on my wrist. And I was like, what's the worst thing that happen? It'll just stay on my wrist. Like, it'll be fine. And also I'm thinking, like, I got to wear my pump on my body. And I need my phone to see my Dexcom. Because, like, I can't see. Like, I don't have a receiver. I can only see my blood sugars on my pump or my phone. Like, what do I do? So in my mind, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So I got, like, a little plastic bag. And I put uh, my Gvoke in there, some Starburst, and just, like, an extra pump site in case it ripped out. Fine. We're walking towards the ocean. I got my wetsuit on. I cannot access my pump. I'm kind of like, it's going to be fine because I can go list from my phone. I can check my blood sugars from my phone. As we're like getting ready to go in the kayak and the guy's giving us instructions, he's like, by the way, most people capsize. Like most people fall into the ocean as they're going out into the coves. And I was just like, okay, like what does that mean for me and my pump? Like, yeah. Also, there's nowhere to put stuff on this freaking kayak. Like the only place to put my little tiny bag there's like a little rubber band to holding on to it. But basically, I lose this. I'm going to die in the ocean, sis. Like, it's a wrap. They're going to have to hell of act. Don't go see me on CNN. Anyways, we get out into the ocean. And I am just like filming like the seals and this and that and the third. And I guess there was like a tiny little crack on the back of my phone that I didn't know was there. And as we were filming stuff, the water got into my phone. And then my phone just kept restarting itself every. 10 to 5 minutes like it would start turn off start turn mm. off start turn off and i'm like sitting there in the ocean i'm just like okay great also i so sometimes and i know shout out kendall cuz this happens to her too it's the sweet librarian sometimes if i'm low and if i'm overstimulated i will feel nauseous mm. and i also have a fear of vomit like i hate vomit i will literally punch someone in the face if they vomit around me like i have no mercy like please do not vomit if i vomit i'll probably you know end it all so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I can't see my blood sugars, but I feel nauseous and I don't know if I'm seasick or if I'm about to have a seizure. I don't know what to do. Also, I have hypo and awareness. Like, this is a terrible situation. Literally having like a breakdown in my brain while the person I'm with is just like having a great time. Everyone's having so much fun. And I'm like, bro, can I drown myself in the ocean right now? Like, would that be all right with all of you? So long story short, as we came back into shore, Apparently, this is the part where everyone capsizes. The waves took me and my little body away. I ended up, I don't even know where, on the other side of the beach. But my plastic bag made it. And as soon as we got there, I like unzipped my wetsuit, pulled out my pump, and my blood sugar was 43. And I was mm. like, oh my God. The only thing that I think kind of helped was that when I was on the water, the instructor was really nice. And I asked her, I was like, hey, because I was like all the way in the back because I suck at kayaking. 
so sorry to the person that was with me. They had to carry me on his back, like kayaking the whole time. Anyways, I asked her, I was like, what do I do? I feel really seasick. And she was like, do you have like a gummy bear or a starburst or something to suck on? So I ate two starbursts while I was out there as just like a don't throw up Eritrea. So sure. I think starburst, shout out, saved my life. Because I made it back to shore. My phone was broken. Nobody could contact me for days. I missed a bunch of stuff like appointments, recordings, emails. Like I was just not available to the planet anymore. And also it's your fault because I think you made evil eye on me. I, I did. I must, I must have because I saw I was like, I bet Eritrea loses her phone out there. <laughs> and then like I finally got access to my laptop. And the first person I texted other than my parents was you. To be like, hey, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And you were like, I knew you lost your phone. And I was like, this man. Well, it was funny because I also saw there was like a comment on a diatribe post that it wasn't like mean, but it was kind of like rude and like needed a response. And you hadn't responded. It had been a couple hours. I was like, she has no phone. I was like, (laughs) confirmation, her phone is gone. And so I I laughed. I was like, yes, I I kind of like was a little bit proud of myself. I was like, I really do know Eritrea. This is good. But but also (laughs) I felt I felt bad for you. It's Um, okay. I got a new phone for a hundred bucks and there's a brand new one. So. All is good, and it was just crazy. I'm glad you shared that story, though, because we talk about doing things. We talk about banishing fear. We talk about not letting your diabetes stop you from doing things that you want to do. But you did you did that, and, and you had a hypoglycemic issue, and you lost your phone, Like, and everything is still okay. It didn't go perfect, but it's still okay. You made it back to shore. You had your low snacks. Like It's all good. So it wasn't perfect, but you got to do what you wanted to do. And we made it and we'd live to fight another day. I answered um, a quiz the other day because I, I do this like journal quiz thing. And it was like, tell me something that you're really proud of yourself for. And I swear before God and everyone else, I wanted to cry the minute I got in that kayak because I just am not. I was just I was scared. I am afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I was so anxious the entire time. At a certain point, they're like, you guys have to paddle really hard here. And I was like, I'm not battling hard enough. Everybody probably hates me. But I fought through the anxiety. I fought through the fear. And I did it. And I was really, really, really proud of myself. And I didn't even realize how proud I was until that stupid prompt asked me. And I was just like, I am her. The end. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, before we move on to the mailbag, because we have a great mailbag question. You're no longer taking Man- Manjaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I know you talked about like your doctor, you and your doctor were working about your BMI maybe being too low for Manjaro. So tell us a little bit about A, what's what's going on with your diabetes and your body now that you're not on Manjaro anymore and like what you and your doctor have been working on. So I haven't seen my endo in a little while. I think I'm avoiding her. If you do that, then you see me and you get it. My A1C is not bad. My timing range is good. I just don't want to talk about weight loss anymore. It's not good for my brain. It's not good for me. I'm trying to value the body I'm in regardless of what size it's at. And I'm trying to remember that food is fuel, not like something that you restrict and have to count all the time and punish yourself with. And in our last episode, I talked about how she thought maybe like these other pills might help. And then I did research about those pills, which I don't want to name here. And they're also weight loss pills. And it just made me feel like that's not the issue I'm having. Like, I'll be really, really honest with you guys. I'm about five, six and a half, and I weigh like 148 pounds on a bad day. So I don't think that the issue is like my weight gain or even my insulin resistance. I'm starting to think it's just movement and hydration. And it's frustrating to me that in the West, here in America, every problem that I've ever brought up to a provider, like they just like throw some medication at me. And maybe that's because they're trying to be nice and not be like, go to the gym. 
But at the same time, it's just like not what I want, right? Not being on Mandara anymore is a good thing and a bad thing. I will say that my amount of insulin that I'm taking every hour is just more now. I'm on a 1.8 basal, which is a little frustrating, but not that bad. It could be a lot worse. And I just find my frustration around Mandaro being like the fact that I can't even afford it. But then I just go back in a huge circle where I'm like, again, weight loss is not my goal. Better diabetes management is. So how do I reconcile taking more insulin, which might make me gain weight, but not caring so much about the weight loss, but being a girl and wanting to be a hot girl. So it's like all this like just stuff, right, that lives in your brain as a person. Um, but I think I'm doing okay. Um, my time and range, like I said, is pretty good. Like this week, I think I had like a lot of 85% days. I think I have one bad day. So I'm happy with where I'm at, but I'm also just in a place where I or Treya am having to take stock of who I am, right? That's something you said earlier with the whole morning routine thing is like figure out who you are and like what works for you and also just be honest with yourself and I'm kind of struggling with that, right? Because I, I want to be a high performer. I want to be a high achiever. I want to be a Rob Howe. But I'm just Eritrea. And that's okay. Like, it's okay that I don't want to do certain things every single day. So I'm learning to just be graceful with myself and with others. And that can be hard sometimes. But I'm climbing my mountain the best that I can. And that's all well, I can do. Well, I, I want to congratulate you on a lot of awareness and a lot of mindfulness there. I also think I am also kind of reconciling how I feel about Ozempic, Munjaro, and like uh, around weight loss, because that was a big thing that came out of ADA was basically, mm -hmm. I think in the diabetes community, we've been critical about it because it's causing shortages. For, uh, the people taking it for weight loss is causing shortages for people who need it for their diabetes management. And fortunately, I think the supply chain issues are getting worked out, it seems like. But the research that came out at ADA was basically like, Yes, it works great for weight loss. It's an excellent weight loss drug. And it is a drug. But I think where I heard I heard Ginger Vieira talking about this on another mm -hmm. podcast, I think about Olympics specifically. And it made me think of our conversation in this country around performance-enhancing drugs and how in baseball, it's not, it was not okay for somebody to take a steroid that would make them able to train more uh, or swing a bat faster because there was no way to train to to get that without that extra without what you know after a certain point without those drugs right. but it is okay for a person who is not competing to not have to you know exercise or you know dedicate or change their lifestyle by using the drug so it's just an interesting way of, of looking at it Around your comments though about like wanting to be like a Rob Howe, like I want I want to be very clear that comparison is definitely the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I have is genetic. You know, my mom and dad are hot boys and girls. And I mean, sorry about it. Um, <laughs> and they built me and like my mom, you know, from a nutrition education perspective, I feel like my brother and sister and I are in like the 1% of foundational elements of like, we were not allowed to eat trans fat. We were not allowed to eat seed oils. We were not allowed to eat those things like way before they were like sensationalized as like poisoning right. America. And we didn't eat out very much. We ate as a family. And, you know, I think we, we've learned a lot about like diet and exercise as a part of that, but like fitness and athletics is part of who I am. So I'm very lucky for that. And it also brings me joy. So it's like, how lucky am I to be able to do that? So 
I think you got to be careful of how you are, how are you comparing yourself and making sure that you are accepting yourself. Like, again, I judge myself really hard for not being a 5 a.m. hustler guy, but I need extra sleep. And LeBron sleeps 12 hours a night. So that's, that was like a big thing for me. I was like, okay, well, if like LeBron can sleep a little bit longer, maybe I can too. But yeah, I think you just got to be able to love yourself, even if you don't wake up early, even if you have to take more insulin. And I think like it really is a bigger conversation around diet culture and weight culture and body image in this mm-hmm. country, especially around women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm very privileged to not have to participate in that for a number of reasons. And so I don't want people to look at me and like contribute to the toxicity of. No, no, no. And I, I don't think. And I, and, I, and I know that's not what you're saying. Yeah. But. But at the same time, like if you need more insulin because that's what your body needs, maybe you're just a person who needs more insulin. It has nothing to do with, you know, your your weight or your fitness. So and also if you need to take a drug or or if it works for you to take a drug for your weight loss and your doctor approves it and it's safe for you to do, who am I to tell you to not do that? Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's where that's kind of where I'm at about it. And I'm learning and growing and 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 accepting that, you know. My experience is not everybody's experience. And if I say that, like, you know, if, if my hot take is that Ozempic is a steroid performance enhancing drug, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm kind of willing to just explore my my way around that. Because and I'm also somebody I'm... who's like, you know, if I, if it would benefit me to take platelet-rich plasma to help with my, like, you know, joint pain, sure, I would do that. I've done that when I, when I had surgery. But is it that or is it I need to work out you know, in micro doses, six days a week to keep myself strong so that I'm not in pain. Like they're, they're, they're more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. Absolutely. No. And today, so actually it's so interesting today at Diatribe earlier, we were talking about a new statistic that came out and if this is the numbers wrong, please don't hate me. Someone at work said this, I'm just repeating it. But they said that in America, 40% of adults are obese or like Get, like not you know normal weight and i, I think it might like, even be more oh, than that i think it's like more that's than half. intense and so if we think about weight and obesity and its correlation to diabetes and it being an epidemic because 40 percent is a huge number like that's an epidemic then drugs like ozempic manjaro wagovi like they need to be accessible to people because it's going to give them a better quality of life regardless of what the rest of us think about it so all like my whole feelings around Mandaro and my stuff is just my stuff. Like me, Eritrea, what I deal with because of my own personal background and the fact that I am not a person who might need it. I might just need to go walk backwards on a treadmill is what I'm trying to say. Whereas some people do really need this drug and they should have access to it. Type one, type two, type three, or no type at all. I know a lot of people who have experienced incredible life changes, like the, their quality of life becoming better. Like People treating them nicer, which is insane to think about that we mistreat people that we don't think deserve respect. But that's insane, right? Like going to doctors now and those doctors, the same people that used to talk to this person negatively being like, wow, what did you do? And it's like I started taking Ozempic, which you would not write a prescription I, for. I think that's part of the like really toxic culture that we have. Is yeah. If you're overweight, you don't deserve respect. You don't and you're not not a human. I just did the quick Google. So here's the Google. 43% of Americans are obese, 70% are overweight. Insane. So I, that, that's the, you know, if you want to dig into the data, that's a little bit more. So, but I, I mean, um, but also we live in a society where we're all on our phones all the time. A lot of us work remote. We sit in front of computer desks more like nobody works. Well, some people do, but a lot of people don't work at a parts factory anymore, you know, like the way that they used to or labor outside to 
harvest corn or whatever we Americans used to do. So uh, if this medication is going to make your life better, no judgment, take what you need, do what you need to do, I think was like my entire thing. And also I want to say that I don't so much want to be you to the point where I like beat myself up. I think more or less that in my mind, when I think about high performing people and diabetes, I think about you. I think about like Lauren Bongiorno. I think about like Lauren Cox. Like I think about all these people who seem to have it together. But now, like, obviously, I know you more and I know that you also have your struggles and your own stuff. Like you're a human being. And I'm just trying to not hold myself to your standard, but to create my own standard. And I don't know what that is because I feel like a lot of my life as a person of color and as a woman has been defined by this Eurocentric standards. Like other people who don't look like me setting the bar and then me trying to reach that bar and then that bar being not attainable and then me beating myself up. So I'm just trying to redefine the bar for myself. And that's what I think everybody should try to do also. Yeah. And that's not easy to do. Mm -mm. Back to the previous like topic of like weight, weight and everything. I read Dopamine Nation. I think I've talked about this in the pod. But the quote that I wrote down from that is, our brains are not wired for the abundance of the modern world. Wow. We All we need to do is open our phone and we get whatever dopamine hit we want. We can go look at our favorite fitness models. We can order our favorite restaurant. We can get same-day delivery on something that we want to buy. And our brains are not able to, like, normally it was like we'd eat every 24 hours because we had to go, like, hunt something and kill it. You know, and, like, there was no refrigerator. So we didn't have, like, just the ability to get food whenever we wanted. And so like our brains are still evolving, like they've evolved to be that way, but now we can just get whatever we want whenever we want it. We have this instant gratification and the dopamine floods our brains and we want more of that. And, you know, sometimes that can send us down a, you know, a, a wild path. So anyway, we've gotten way off topic, uh, but it, <laughs> I, you love know, that. I, I think, you know, digging into these things is really important. So, okay, let's do the mailbag. Woo! As a reminder, mailbag is mailbag at diabeticsdoingthings.com. It's an email inbox where we will answer your questions. Also, we are getting, we've gotten a lot of new followers. We've been doing a lot of really good content lately. So when people, when we do that, more people want to be on the show and we just can't accommodate all the requests currently. So we're going to ask everybody to be submitting their stories or their questions to mailbag at diabeticsdoingthings.com. And so here we have a question uh, that Eritrea got from uh, someone named Jane. So uh, why don't Jane. you tell us from the mailbag? First of all, Jane saw us at Friends for Life, and that's why she sent us this question, which I thought was very sweet. So hello, Jane, and welcome to our community. Jane said, hi, my son is 11 years old and was diagnosed T1D just months ago. He is finding it really hard and still feels frightened by it. Do you have any advice? How can I help build his confidence and help him feel like it does not define him? At the moment, it all still feels very threatening. So I look to people with lived experience and to see if you can offer any tips on how to live with this unrelenting psychological burden. Any advice you can offer would be great, gratefully received. This is kind of always my advice to caregivers and parents of type ones. But just remember that even growing up as a teenager and a young person, a tween in this case is really difficult anyway. And you throw diabetes on top of it and it's just compounded. So diabetes is kind of frightening. And it has a psychological burden. I made a reel earlier this week. It's like, it's literally every day, day in and day out. And you have to be on top of things. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do it, but you also have to acknowledge back to my talk that I've been giving this year of like the dichotomy of diabetes is, yeah, you can live the life that you want, but it's, there are costs, you know, there are real challenges. It's not going to be easy. And I just think 
if you can make it through the ups and the downs and without judging yourself and like, you know, examine and be curious about diabetes and, you know, even like think about like highs and lows and like what might happen and having a plan without judging yourself about it. I think that's the main, the most important thing. I had a similar question a couple of years ago, early on in my diabetes speaking career, where a mom and dad were there and their son was diagnosed with diabetes. He was 19 and he had had the ambulance. They had to call the ambulance on him because he had woken up or, you know, not really woken up. He was in, you know, kind of a verge of a, of a diabetic coma from hypoglycemia like two days that week. And yeah. they, they, they had to call the ambulance for him. And so they were really down and, and he was down. He didn't want to come to the conference. And that's pretty typical in these types of situations. But the parents were looking for some sort of encouragement. And I, and I asked them a really simple question. The other five days where you didn't call the ambulance, did you acknowledge that? And they were like, well, no. And I was like, well, that's five more days that you didn't call the ambulance compared to the two that you did. So that's a win. You know, that, you know, that you're up on the charts there. So I would just encourage you, you know, being 11 is tough. High blood sugar and low blood sugar is a total normal part of life. Unfortunately, you're the one that's got to manage it. So keep dreaming, keep dreaming big and just know that we're all in it with you in it together. And making a friend with diabetes is probably the best way to make that feel a little bit more normal. I love that advice. I would say that it is an unrelenting psychological burden, but to not focus so much on that and to more like what you said is so, so spot on. A win is a win. And if anything, I always, and I know this is like a maybe not the best way to think about stuff, but I always tell myself that, and I think maybe you said it a long time ago or as a random quote, but that iron is forged in fire and that your son is going to be so much better for this in the long run because it's a hard, difficult thing as an 11-year-old. And while nobody wishes for a diagnosis and nobody wants to be forged that way, this is his journey and his story. And all you can do is support him while he goes through whatever feelings it is he has. I remember when I was a kid, there was a day that I was really, really upset. Like I think I was like 10 or 11. And I just got back from a clinical trial in another country. And I was just like crying to my dad. And I was telling him that I felt like I was broken and that's why they kept sending me away because they didn't want me anymore. And my dad was like, absolutely not. That's not how we feel. And I was like, but I'm angry about it and I don't know who to be angry with. And we went to MC Lively, which is an elementary school here in Irving. He took me to a dumpster. I shit you not. And we literally took like a baseball bat to that dumpster and just like beat the crap out of it until like I was no longer crying. And my dad was like, let's go get some ice cream. So sometimes like how you feel just someone telling you that it's okay to feel that way, like that can change your perspective because it's like, am I crazy? Should I be? Because I remember always thinking like, I should be more grateful. Like I wasn't born in a place where I don't have access to things. But at the same time, like I'm still so angry. So what do I do with that? So all I would say, Jane, is to really like lean into listening. I think sometimes as parents, I'm not a parent. I'm just lucky to have two really awesome ones. They will sometimes talk too much. And my dad will always tell me like, if I'm over talking, just tell me to stop because I'm just trying to fix it for you. I think that's another thing for parents is like they wish they could take on the burden for the kid, but you can't. So all you can do is shut up, hug him and let him feel how he feels. I I, I love that. I think that I, I can just see you swinging away at that dumpster and just like feeling better, you know, and like something that I'll say, because I'm a huge Jocko Willink guy. So there's this legendary like Jocko Willink YouTube video that you can search for where he talks about good. And so I'm going to do my best Jocko <laughs> right now. He's like, oh, you know, and this is to parents, especially it's like, oh, 
you know, my kid's having a, a, a real struggle with his, with his diet, his or her diabetes. And we're having to work through these difficult times. Good. Like <laughs> tolerate the pain. So, and, and Jocko's, you know, it's like, Oh, today we got to walk to, or we got to march 20 miles through the mud. Good. I want to embrace, I want to embrace that challenge. I want to tolerate the pain. You know, diabetes is hard. Uh, oh, there's a high carb meal coming up. Good. You know, oh, I've got, I've got to pack extra snacks to get through my day to day because I've got to have a demanding day. Good. Bring it on. Like I'm, and, and you know, like, yeah, it is tough, but what if we, at the end of the day, celebrated it and mm -hmm. we said, man, we stacked up a really difficult day for ourselves today and we made it through. Are you celebrating that? Are you, are you like patting yourself on the back enough? Are you embracing the suck? You know, like, I think that's like a huge part of the journey that life is pain sometimes. And we got to celebrate ourselves and pat ourselves on the back when we really come through in a big way. Did you make it through your day at school without having to call the nurse or without having to go to the hospital? Good. You know, did you treat a low blood sugar? Did you make time for yourself during a test and fix it and go back and still, you know, finish the test with the rest of the school? Good. You know, I think like when I play basketball and I'm, you know, kicking ass, you know, who didn't check their blood sugar at all that day, the guys I'm giving buckets to, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, they don't know, they don't know what their blood sugar is. And I do good. Let's go bring it on. And so I think like, sometimes you got to make yourself your own superhero. You got to make yourself, you know, you got to be your own biggest fan because that is part of the psychological burden is that there's not, not everybody cheering for you all the time. So how can you make yourself, how can you be the change for yourself and be the friend that you need with diabetes? And, you know, just dig right in. And we'll be put the that friend. I love oh. being the friend, but also, Miss Jane, find him some friends. There's local yes, chapters of sure. ADA, JDRS. I, when I emailed her back, I was like, what area are you in? Because a friend with diabetes is a friend indeed, as Rob Howe always says. And I think we saw a statistic once. I want to say it was also 40% that was like, you have a higher chance of taking care of your diabetes if you have a friend with diabetes. So, Clinical outcomes show that yeah. if you're involved in diabetes, social media, and blogs, you will 100% of the time have a better A1C outcome than somebody who doesn't. So, and you know what? That's the mailbag. Did we go over time a little bit today? Good. Yes. <laughs> you know, did we go a little bit off track? Good. Because that's going to make us better long term. Did we have to re-record this episode because Rob messed it up at Friends for Life and now this is the second recording of this? Good. Good. <laughs> we did. We did have to do that. But this one was better, I think, 100%. It better. was. Yeah. I'm so glad we did it. This was fun. This was fun. We'll see you guys next time. Hopefully to see you soon at diabeticsdoingthings.com slash events. Events are coming, not just in Texas. We got some exciting stuff coming up very soon. So stay tuned. Bye.